Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God, not that we are content in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter but of the Spirit, For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, For to this day the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory— are being transformed into his likeness with everlasting, ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, a few weeks ago, just post-Easter, we began a sermon series on 2 Corinthians and looking at this idea of how we as a church can experience more of the life that God wants us to have to be a church that is alive, uh, reflective of God. And today, we're going to be looking at how we become more like Christ. What does that look like and what are some of the barriers to that? And so we're in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 18, which you can follow along the insert in the bulletin or up on the screen if you would like. There Paul writes, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ, our God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. 
Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters or stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will it not be that the ministry of the Spirit is even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is a ministry that brings righteousness? For what was our glorious has what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading came in came with glory, how much greater is the glory that which that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it, while all the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the Word of God for us. So about a week and a half ago, I got to support one of Levi's field trips. My fourth grader is 10 years old, and at Union Hill, they do a 49er field trip. They go down to some of the, the most well-known gold rush kind of places uh, where James Marshall found gold and, and Coloma. We get to go to Columbia, which is total, you know, old west town and, you know, boom town type thing during the gold rush. And, uh, you know, I really want to commend this field trip to you because you get to spend two days, 48 hours with 65 fourth graders. I mean, it's just awesome. And you get to sleep on the floor of one of the uh, Sonora County exhibit halls. I mean, really plush accommodations. No, it was really fun, in fact, because I got to be a part of the drama team. And if you know anything about Adventure Week, which we talked about today, I love doing dramas. I love sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in creative ways that make kids laugh and engage and giggle. And my role about a week and a half ago was to play Sheriff Ben Thorne. And I think Tim might have the picture of, of that for us. Uh, you'll get there. Um, So I'm playing the sheriff, and our whole thing with these fourth graders was we wanted to do as much as we possibly could to throw them off from guessing who the real Black Bart was. So in fact, we had multiple Black Barts trying to steal the gold from these fourth graders that they had been entrusted with by Wells Fargo and which was on the bus. So in fact, everything we did was to try to throw them off to understand who Black Bart was. It really wasn't fair because there were like multiple ones. But in the end, there was an unveiling where I, there as the sheriff, had caught Black Bart and pulled the duster off his, their head and showed the kids who it was. And it was like a great episode of Scooby-Doo, really. I mean, it was one of those like, oh, it really caught it. You know, I, I knew who it was. Da, 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 da. You know, and the kids were like, ah, you know, they went all crazy and all that stuff. Okay. So there was this unveiling. There was also a lot of confusion as to who Black Bart might have been. That is the opposite of what God does in the Bible. God slowly unveils himself. He reveals himself throughout Scripture to show who he really is throughout the Old Testament, but then ultimately in the New. And in Jesus, there's this great unveiling moment 
This is who God really is. This is what he is like. And we, we don't have a, 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 a representation. We don't have a, you know, kind of a picture pointing back to. We have in Jesus the real thing. And the way God reveals himself throughout the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is this, and through Moses. He reveals his plan and design for relationship with us. That if we, if, but it, you know, if we do certain things, we can encounter a relationship with him. He shows us the way to be in a right relationship. But what the Old Testament does for us in this, and particularly the law, is it shows us that we cannot do it ourselves. The law prepares us and, and makes the way for our need for a Savior, for Jesus. And so in the Old Testament, God's revealing himself. He's showing up and he shows up in glory at different times to Moses and the Israelites and on, the Mount, on Mount Sinai and these amazing revelations of God where he's showing himself and revealing his glory. But there, God did it at like particular times and particular people like Moses for particular purposes. But then his glory wouldn't just stay there and rest on that person as we're going to talk about because none of those people was perfect. But then in Jesus, we have this unveiling. Our need for forgiveness is revealed through the Old Testament, and our, the provision of a Savior is shown to us in Jesus. And in Jesus, we have the ability to become more and more like him through the transforming work of his Spirit in our lives. And that's the focus of this message. I want to ask the question, what are some of the signs or points of evidence that someone is becoming more like Christ? And how do we grow to become more like Jesus? And what is it that enables a church like ours and the people who make it up to mature to become more like him? Is it about keeping certain rules and external obedience where we sort of look the part of being followers of Jesus? Or is it something more? In this chapter, Paul contrasts the old way of relationship with God with Moses with a new way of relationship with Jesus and then he develops this in terms of how we can become more like Christ what does Paul start with he starts with the image of a letter a letter of recommendation and that being pointing to the evidence of somebody experiencing transformation he says like you are you the Corinthians you're like a letter of recommendation for my ministry, because of the transformation you have experienced. But instead of that being external, like a a written letter of recommendation, it's written on hearts. And ultimately, it doesn't come from Paul or the Corinthians or anybody else. It comes from Christ, and it was the result of the ministry written, again, not by ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. In other words, here's the deal. If we, if we have the Ten Commandments, and here's Moses holding the Ten Commandments, there's no internal inspiration to obey the Ten Commandments, right? There's just a written, outward, external law. And people like try to match up with that, but they always fall short. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so the law that was written on ink, by ink, or you know, with stone, wasn't able to enable people to fulfill it or obey it. I have a marriage covenant with Beth. I fall short of that covenant at times. And commitment. I, no one matches up to that kind of thing 100% of the time. So what the law does is kind of serve, there's like a letter of recommendation, but it's basically saying this is not a perfect person. He needs somebody else to ultimately uh, be reflective of, of the values that, that, that are being uh, developed in that person's life. And ultimately it is the change of character in Paul's life and in the lives of the Corinthians that becomes evidence that God is doing something. 
he goes on to make a great claim. Every one of them, the Corinthians, is a letter of Christ. Did you catch that? You are a letter of recommendation for Jesus. If somebody looks at your life and the way you're living and the character that's being formed in you, are they going to be recommended to follow Jesus? Or are they going to say, hmm, this doesn't really match up very well. You know, I see inconsistencies here, and there's always going to be some. But what we need, if we're going to be a letter of recommendation for Jesus, if we're going to shine light on him, and if we're going to become more like him, we need not just an external message, rules, we need an internal work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Long ago, Plato said that the good teacher does not write his message in ink that will fade. He writes it upon men and women. And that is what Jesus has done. He doesn't just present us a law to follow. He comes and lives inside of us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And he's the one that changes us from the outside in. The great truth here is that every one of us is an open letter related to Jesus, an advertisement for him. And the honor of Christ is bound up with the way we're living our lives. And when we go out into the world, we have the awe-inspiring responsibility of being open letters or advertisements for the church and for Christ himself. A church alive, then, becomes a letter of recommendation for Jesus by the way we live our lives. As a pastor, I get asked to write letters of recommendation all the time. Uh, people are you know, trying to get into a college, they're trying to get a new job, they're moving from one job to the other. And there are times, honestly, where it is a sheer delight because I know that person and I, and I can say really good things about that person. Sometimes people ask me to write a letter of recommendation, I don't really know them at all. And I'm wondering what to say about them and, and how it's going to be reflective on me because here's the deal. However that person carries themselves is going to be reflective of me and the church. Uh, Morgan wasn't in the first service. You're in this service, but we're going with it anyway. A couple years back, Morgan's working over at House of Print and Copy before he started his internship here. And uh, we were doing a memorial service. We had a memorial service like we're going to have for Norma Black today. And, and we had taken the bulletins over to House of Print and Copy to have them run the picture and the, and the bulletin. And uh, the owner of uh, the House of Print and Copy was there, and she's a Christian, and, and she realized who I was. She, she was. She's like, you're the pastor from the church? And yeah, yeah, And I'm headed out, and she's like, hey, do you have a moment? I said, sure. She says, you guys did a really good job. And I said, what do you mean? The person Morgan is here at House of Print and Copy was obviously shaped by a community of faith that invested in him to be the person he is and the character he's reflecting in this workplace. In that environment, Morgan became a letter of recommendation for the work of God in the context of this church and the way they were being shaped. He's being shaped and molded. Similarly, at our Presbytery meeting this last week, there were several people that uh, were becoming pastors or maybe they were pastors of one church but were moving to another. And they shared a message. And then they answered a bunch of questions about their beliefs and their theology. But then we would excuse that person from the room and then have a couple of people speak for them. And, the per- and a person would get up and say, hey, I-, I know Joe. I was in his church 20 years ago. And-, and this guy is the real deal. He loves Jesus. He's going to serve this church well. And I'm going to tell you, it's that letter of recommendation that actually you know, is, is a bigger deal for me than, than most of the other things in that process. 
because the person giving the letter of recommendation is somebody I actually know. I don't know the person yet up front. Similarly, the Corinthians had become a letter of recommendation for Jesus and for Paul's ministry. And Paul knew that ultimately it's the Lord who commends a person. We're not needing to earn people's favor and try to, try to you know, um, please everyone. What we're seeking to do is to please Jesus and to know ultimately that Jesus is our letter of recommendation uh, by the way he has called us and the way he continues to encourage us. And he is the one that shapes and molds our character as we seek to follow after him. And that molding and shaping isn't about a veneer of morality glued on to the exterior of our lives, but about a profound change of heart and mind and will, which is expressed in outward behavior, but starts with an inward transforming reality. So in contrast to the power of the ministry of the Old Covenant, which was written on tablets and and ink, but had faded away, Jesus is doing a transforming work in us. And the process for us is giving up our own attempts at reaching God and righteousness and re- receiving the, God, the work that God has already done on our behalf. And Paul says, when we do that, when the Corinthians did that, they would become a new creation. People whose hearts reflect the love of Jesus. And the, and, and the Spirit of God would be evident in them, working through them, filling them and using them and empowering them. And it wouldn't be this, about this external written letter but about a true reflection of Jesus. Um, I forgot to bring this up, both services. But um, I think I'm good. Uh, In about 2002, uh, you know, I'm a big baseball fan, and I got to go to spring training. And I got to go watch the Giants play, and I'm following along. And and, uh, one day I'm out there, and and I'd gone out. It was really hot in Arizona, and I'd gone out to get a drink. And, uh, you know, I was walking back to the ballpark in about the third or fourth inning. And I look up, and, and Barry Bonds is just walking right towards me. And I'm like, Barry Bonds? And at this time, Barry Bonds, like, at the height of his career, he's getting close to the home run championship. And we didn't know what we know now about the way he was reaching this home run championship uh, career record. And so I'm just like, Barry Bonds. And so I go up, and I'm Mr. Bonds. Can I have your autograph? And, and he, he signed my ball, and I'm just like, yeah, Barry Bonds. And at the time, it was worth a lot of money. A year later, breaks, breaks the season record, career record. Well, I looked up, and this is on my, you know, my stand. I've got a bunch of baseball gear and all that stuff in my office. And I'm working on this sermon. I'm thinking about this image of, you know, written on by ink. That, and, and the law which fades and the spirit which gives life and internally. And I look up and the Barry Bonds autograph has totally faded in 20 years. And our understanding of his character and how he accomplished these amazing feats has kind of faded in 20 years. We think, you know, he had a little extra juice, a little extra help, right? Well, this is the opposite, again, of what happens in our faith and our trust of Jesus. Instead of it written by ink that fades, like you got this external righteousness related to God, there is an internal work going on in our lives, and that imprint of the Holy Spirit is what reveals Jesus to a watching world. There's not only this letter of recommendation related to God's transforming work within us. Secondly, there's competence that's developed reflective of Jesus. What Paul says is this is not, this competence is not in ourselves, it comes from God. And that he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. 
So not only are we enabled to become more like Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit inside us, we are empowered and enabled to minister to others on his behalf. But that competence for ministry does not come on our own. It comes through our weakness, vulnerability, and utter dependency on God to show up and to work and to empower. Currently, I'm working with our incoming elders and deacons. We've got uh, six of them, uh, three new deacons, uh, three new elders coming on to help provide leadership for the life of our church. And on June 5th, we want you to come to a, a potluck dinner at 5 that night, and uh, we're going to you know, uh, celebrate our outgoing officers, our leaders, and we're going to celebrate and vote in the incoming ones. Well, as I'm working with these new elders and deacons, here's the thing. They all express like kind of this, ah, man, I don't know if I can do this. And what I say to them, to a person, is that's exactly the right spirit we want you to have. In other words, if you showed up and I said, hey, I'm God's gift to the deacon board, or, you know, I've got it all together. I am an elder. I embody everything there is to be an elder. Um, That would scare me. And what we do is in a Bible study where we look at Moses, and Moses, shepherding, you know, sheep, goes up and and he encounters God in in a burning bush, and God calls him to go to Egypt and free the Israelites from slavery. And Moses says, oh, yeah, of course you called me to do this. I'm the perfect guy. No. Moses says, I can hardly speak. I'm not a good public speaker. I'm not a leader. I'm basically trying to hide out in the desert after I committed murder back in Egypt. And you actually want me to go back there? And God says, yes. And and then God says, guess what? I'm going to do it through you. And I'm going to show up and there's going to be miracles, signs and wonders that I'm with you. And uh, yeah, you, you may not be the best public speaker. So guess what? I'm going to send your brother Aaron along with you and you guys are going to do it together. And then there's Jonah. And God calls Jonah and he doesn't say, yeah, let's go to the Ninevites and proclaim that, you know, they're going to be destroyed unless they repent. Jonah didn't get all excited about that mission, nor did he think he was fully capable of it. Instead, he bought passage and boarded a ship to sail to Tarshish and was swallowed up like a great fish and spat back out on the land and was given a second chance to do it. And the second time he did it, he did it with fear and, and vulnerability. And and dependency on God. And as chosen instruments, as people that are competent, our competence comes from Jesus to serve him and to reflect him to others. If we're depending on our own strength and ability, we will fall short. And we won't look like Jesus. But if we depend on him and gaze upon him, keep our eyes focused on him, we can become more like him and our ministries can be more reflective of the kind of ministries he's calling us to. John 15, uh, 5, 7, and 8 captures this well. Jesus says there, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It is a rooted dependency, church, on Jesus. If we're going to be fruitful and effective in ministry, we have to deepen our connections with him and allow him to, you know, the sap of the Holy Spirit to, to, to go from root to fruit so that we reflect kingdom fruit in our ministries. And Paul in another place in Philippians said it this way, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He doesn't say I can do all things in my own strength or ability. 
He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our reflection of Jesus and our competence comes through our dependency on Jesus. Not trying to walk alone, not trying to act like we have it all together. And when we do that, when we allow him to shape our character internally, and we, we seek to, to um, you know, have a competency and a, and a giftedness that's nurtured through him, then we can reflect his glory more fully. We can become more reflective of Jesus. And here's the central contrast here in the passage. Uh, Paul talks about Moses' glory and the glory of the old law, which was fading. And if you remember, uh, Moses would go in and spend time with God, and he would radiate the presence of God on his face. But then we're told that he would wear a veil to cover over the fact that that glory would fade over time. Uh, Again, God was showing up with particular people at particular times for particular purposes. It wasn't permanent. It wasn't a, a permanent glory. So Moses uh, wanted to hide the fact from the people that he that the glory on his face was diminishing or fading. And what we're then told is that that the Spirit is the one who ultimately uh, makes things, makes uh, God more glorious. In other words, we shine light on him, we reflect him, and not ourselves in the fading glory uh, on our faces. Uh, last night we went out to Rollins Lake at evening time and uh, I, I, jumped, I had to jump in the lake. It was freezing. And then Levi's got a boogie board that's like half in the water and half on the land. This thing floats out about 30 yards and we're about to leave. And, Dad, my boogie board's out there. I turned to Josh and I said, okay, Josh, I'm turning 50 in September and you're turning 16 in October. By that time, you're the man on this one. But for now... Dove in, swam out there, bring back the boogie board, you know. But at, when I got back, I hear this lady say, oh, are you going to come back for the, the eclipse? And I guess there's a big lunar eclipse tonight, you know. And so cover over the moon, you know. So we don't want our reflection, like the moon to the sun, we don't want our reflection of Jesus to be veiled. We don't want it to be eclipsed by anything else. We want to unveil the person of Jesus to other people, And that means giving up on our own attempts at self-righteousness or making it sound like it's anything about us and actually undergoing an inner journey looking beneath the surface and those unpleasant parts of ourselves and actually inviting God to address those areas of ourselves that aren't necessarily pretty. But we know become manifested in our actions and in our attitudes because what is at the root may not be Christ. It may not be God working. So we want to tap into the root of Jesus in order to bear fruit for his kingdom. And we want to sort of unveil who Jesus is by the way we live our lives. And think again about the fact that when Jesus died and breathed his last, when he showed the fullness of God's love on the cross, what happened? The curtain in the temple was torn in two. The way to God was unveiled. It was no longer blocked by a big curtain. It was, ta-da, This is who I really am. And I'm showing you on the cross. I love you like this. And Jesus unveiled the fullness of the love of God when he died for you that day. And we want to unveil the presence of the living God in and through our lives, through the way we live. But that means stopping, not trying to do it ourselves anymore and allowing Christ to remove that veil, to to basically, you know, pull back the layers and, and then and, and as we turn to Jesus. So it's only as we turn to Jesus then that the veil is torn back, 
and pulled away the, 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 the facade and that, you know, for Black Bart, the duster he was wearing to hide his identity, we want to take that off and not have us, other people see us. We want to take that off and we want to have other people see Jesus. And the only way that's going to happen is if we allow the Holy Spirit to do his transforming work within us. And, 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 and basically, instead of God hiding himself you know, in us, we want our faces to be unveiled so that more and more they see the glory of God reflected there. That it's not an eclipse. It's not a veil. But ultimately, the transforming work that God has begun in our lives shines through and they see Christ's likeness. They see his character unveiled in the way we live our lives. What does that look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, right? It looks like love. And it looks like joy. And it looks like peace. And it looks like patience, which is in a really short supply in our lives right now. Okay? And it looks like kindness and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Would you say self-control is on the rise in our society right now? Do you see self-control growing on social media? Do you see self-control growing in political dialogues? There was another racially motivated murder. I think 10 people were killed yesterday. I'm not seeing self-control on the rise in terms of our, our uh, you know, racial relationships. So we need the Holy Spirit to do this transforming work to reflect more of the love and likeness of Jesus and that's only going to happen as if when we give the Holy Spirit the reins and allow him to take over. But when the Spirit of the Lord takes over, we can shine the reflection of Jesus. We can be like the moon to the sun. And the Spirit of the living God flows through us and flows out of us. And when we do that, there's freedom because we're no longer trying to hang on and keep control and make ourselves look better than we are because we're not. And we reflect the Lord's glory as we interact because we are being transformed into his likeness. It says, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I love the last phrase. It says, but we all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. In other words, in the Greek, the word is we're going to undergo a a metamorpho, a metamorphosis. A a transformation and a change. And, And what might be veiled now, ultimately, we're told in heaven... We're going to reflect the glory of the Lord. We're going to share in his glory. So if that's our destination, shouldn't we get on with that now and allow God to continue the work that he's begun? And we can trust him because it says in the scriptures that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in Philippians 1. What he begins, he ends. He brings to fruition or completion. And we can trust that he's doing this work within us. But for now... The question is, what do other people see? One of my favorite theologians is Bono, the lead singer of U2. And he says in one place that our faces tend to catch up with our psychology. So our face is reflecting more anger and frustration, more impatience. At 49, I know I'm becoming more curmudgeonly. And I'm 49. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, if I've got this longer journey, how do I keep my heart soft and my hands open when the tendency is to our hearts to become hardened and our hands to 
be like this in frustration. And I want to live like this. But it's going to take God changing, molding me so that I become more like that. Church, my hope and prayer is that we are being transformed by the Spirit to reflect the Lord's glory in a way that unveils Christ for other people to see. One of my favorite books, and I'll finish with this, that captures this quality is C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces. And there Lewis has a character, Uriel, who is not pretty on the outside. She, she in fact, is, she knows she, she physically she's, she's ugly on the outside. So she wears a veil because she doesn't want people to see her ugliness. But in the process of wearing this veil, as she takes a place of leadership, there's a beauty that's being cultivated underneath. And she only takes off her veil when she's alone for periods of time. But then she says in the end that through interaction with God, she can take the veil off because she knows she's become more like him. And she says in it, in the end, I know why you know, uh, God doesn't answer us directly. I know why you know, they, you know, there's this babble of thinking and meaning and trying to understand this and says, how can, they, how can God meet us face to face till we have faces? In other words, you know, when, we're, when things are unveiled, do we have a face and a likeness that reflects Jesus? Or are they going to see our hard-heartedness, our bitterness, our sorrow? The change comes only when we ultimately are preparing ourselves and undergoing God's surgery, where he's completing that work and healing us and molding us and shaping us, where we become like, a, like dough that's being shaped and molded and, and stretched out so that you can put the good pieces of, I'll call it a pizza, on there, so that we can fit in and cultivate the characteristics of Christ. Uh, church, I am on a journey with this myself. I need Jesus even much or more as you do. God is working on me and shaping those underneath layers in me and those hard-hearted parts and those, the pains and sorrows. But as a church that is seeking to be alive, let's continue in that journey together, okay? Let's stay committed to one another, encourage one another, support one another when we fall, and trust that the one who began a good work in you, Jesus, We'll carry it on to completion. And one day we're going to see him face to face. And we're going to become more like him. So today let's make choices that support that process. Let's stand in the grace of God. And allow him to continue to shape and mold us for him. Amen. Amen. search the world but it couldn't fill me and man's empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough then you came along and put me back together is now satisfied here in your love come on oh there's nothing better than you there's nothing that's better than you Lord there's nothing nothing is better than you 
Is the God of the valley 